but as he goes through and he mentions why it is he wrote the letter, uh, the one that seems to stick out to me most uh, that encompasses the whole thing comes more near the end of First John. That's in uh, chapter 5, verse 13. And what he wrote there, it's, it's also, as you see, the place where I got the title for the series. It says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. As we look at the entire letter, as we look at the entire book of First John, this comes up over and over again, the things that he wants you to know so that you might know that as you know these things, then it's going to make a difference in your life. At least that's, that's what he's hoping. And today I hope to help us understand a little bit more uh, that not only that we have eternal life, but some of the implications of eternal life. What are some of the implications of that eternal life? That, there's that picture so that you may know some of the implications that come because we have eternal life in Christ. Let's pray and we're going to get into the book a little bit more. Father, thank you for that new life that is ours, for that eternity that is ours, for what we just saw in the kids video, that the taking away the sin without diminishing who you are as God, without diminishing at all your deity, Jesus, that you gave your life in in payment for our sin help us to grasp that as we look into your word a little bit more and what it means what it means for us here and now what it means for us and as we face the challenges of the day the challenges of life the discouragements uh, and as dawn was singing too father that even in the midst of our trouble you are still there you are the one who is there in the midst of what seems like a desert place to us i thank you so much for that reality teach us now from your word i ask in christ's name amen we're going to be looking in First John, so turn there, if you will. First John, first chapter. We covered the first four verses last week. If you haven't, if you didn't, uh, weren't able to see that, you can get online. It's uh, that that sermon's posted on there. Uh, but here we are. We're going to pick up in verse five. We're going to read from verse five through uh, chapter two, verse two today. And I'm going to share with you what I noticed about what, you know, what I noticed as I studied these verses on some of those implications dealing with eternal life. Uh, not only that reality of eternal life, but also some of the effects, impacts that eternal life should have. So follow along. First John, beginning with uh, chapter one, beginning with verse five, says, now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only for our sins, but also for those of the whole world. Now, that's what we're going to I'm hoping we're just going to cover all of those verses today. I think we'll do fine with it. Uh, John here is he's passing on what they heard from their personal time with Jesus. If you remember last week, we looked at those 
first four verses, he said, we're talking to you about this one that we've seen, that we've heard, that we've touched, that we've spent this time with. He's talking to them about a real person. And what he's saying here is some of what he's noticed, what, what, what is, is there that he wants to pass on is that God is light and in him is absolutely no darkness at all. Now, what I really want you to pick up on is, is the phrase there you see circled in red that he is light and in him is absolutely no darkness at all in him. So what does that mean? It's a reminder, you know, of, of what we've said many times before. There, there is no such thing as a gray area. You know, we like to say that and we like to use that as an excuse to do what we want to do instead of searching out what God would really have us do. In him is light and there's what? In him is absolutely no darkness so when i tell you there's no gray area i feel i'm only telling you what you are seeing here in the scripture there are no gray areas in life you can say well pastor what about this one if you're god is not confused about what he wants he is not confused about what he wants for you if you are confused seek him more Go after him and find out what he wants because in him is no darkness at all. He is light. There is no such thing as a gray area. There is no such thing as a little white lie. In him is no darkness at all. Absolutely no darkness, it says. So there is no such thing as, as a little white lie. There is no such thing as an acceptable sin. I mean, my goodness, think of that sentence. Acceptable sin? Why do I say it? Because there is absolutely no darkness in him. In case you missed it, it says that he is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. The contrast between light and darkness, you know, it was seen as a metaphor for good and evil. It still is, you know, uh, today. It's like, <laughs> Luke, come to the dark side. See, uh, you know, we even use this, you know, this, this uh, we even talk about darkness now as, as, that, as that which, which you know, is, is, is not a good thing. John, 4, uh, John chapter 12, Jesus said, I have come as light, as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness see the contrast there they you know it's not just in scripture we use this you know it's just we, we we talk about it today you know it's something you'll know something you'll notice when you bring in light darkness is gone you know darkness it, it's gone darkness is the absence of light Let me think here. Marcy's 40, 41, 42. Marcy's, oh no, she's 43. Okay, so um, Marcy wasn't born yet, so oh, probably about 45 years ago. Uh, Ginny and I went to Mammoth Cave, Kentucky. We were heading down there to go. We were uh, stopped down there on our way going to Florida. So while we were at Mammoth Cave, Kentucky, we stopped and we took tours. Now, Jenny and I went back again this year. We went back to Mammoth Cave, Kentucky this year. And this year, you know, thanks to our good old friend COVID, everything was different. And you took a cave tour and the lights were always on. It was a self-guided tour. Think of that for a minute. 
Uh, but what they did, they had, you know, they had a route clearly marked out. You can only, it was one tour, that was it. And uh, there, there was no other choice than this one tour. And they had uh, park rangers stationed throughout to make sure you didn't go where you weren't supposed to. Well, when Ginny and I went, you know, 45 years ago or so, it was different. And you could pick which tour you went on. I don't remember which tour we picked, but I do remember this. We went down into the, the belly. Why is it always the belly of the cave? Anyway, we went down into the cave. And as we were down in there, we got to one, pot, one part. And the, and the uh, park ranger guy says, okay, I'm going to turn off all the lights. And he gave us a warning ahead of time. He said, why don't you see how dark it is in here? And so he, he turned off the lights. And if you've ever been in a cave, you know, this is one of the things they like to do in caves, so you may have seen that before or not. But it was so, I literally put my hand in front of my face like this, and I couldn't, I, I, I just flat out couldn't see it. Then the park ranger lit a match. Just one match. You would not believe the difference one match made there in that total darkness. You know, I mean, not only could we see things again, uh, it, it actually even brought a little comfort. So when he talks, when he's, you know, talking here about light and darkness, darkness is that absence of light. Darkness, darkness never overpowers light. John refers to that in his, in his gospel in the first chapter. He says, life was in him, speaking of Jesus, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. The darkness could not conquer it. The darkness does not conquer, does not conquer light. Darkness is the absence of light when, when light is gone. Now, as I was studying this passage, I noticed the phrase, if we, if we, and it appears in every verse except the first and the last one that we read today. Look, it's in verse 6, it's in verse 7, it's in verse 8, it's in verse 9, it's in verse 10. And in, in, in the first verse of chapter 2, it says, if anyone, you know, if anyone, you know, if we, and so as I look, we're going to kind of organize our thoughts around that, that phrase because three times here, John addresses uh, claims that were probably made by those following either docetism or Gnosticism. We talked about those a little bit last week, so those beliefs. And it, it, these are probably claims they were made. In, in verse 6 is where we see the first one come up, you know, and it says, if we say that we have a relationship with Christ but continue to live in a way that's contrary to his being, contrary to his example, you know, contrary to all of his teaching, it says we're simply proving that we are a liar. We're proving we're the ones not telling the truth. If you're living in such a way that, if you're living in such a way that people cannot see what you are saying when you say you have a relationship to Christ, and if you're living in such a way that they cannot see what you're saying, it says then you're lying when you talk. You're lying when you talk and you don't have the relationship with God that you claim to have. The claim is right there. The claim says, if we, so if we say we have a relationship with him. You see, that's, that, that's in, in, in quotes in the Holman Christian Standard and some of the other translations. Because this is a claim that, that it was made that, that he is, that he is addressing with them. The claim is that we have fellowship with him. The reality was that they walk in darkness. 
You see, the claim is we have fellowship. The reality is we, then they walk in darkness. You know, they're lying, he says. What we need to grasp a hold of is the credibility of what you say is directly tied to the life you live. The credibility of what you say is directly tied to the life you live. And if you're living in such a way that people can't see what you're saying, then Scripture says you're a liar. You know, that, 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 that there is a liar. What he tells us there, what he tells us in the verse though, he says instead we should be, you know, we should be practicing the truth. They're lying. Why are they lying? Because they're not practicing the truth. You see, if they were practicing the truth, then it wouldn't be a lie. So we should be practicing the truth. The word translated practicing, it has, it has the, the picture of, of dwelling in action, dwelling in an action, you know, staying there. Not something superficial, not something occasional. You know, it is the idea of a, of a continuing choice of action. A continuing choice of action. You know, a, a habit. A regular way of living. That it's a regular way of living the truth. We are regularly living the truth is, is what he's saying here. The claim is made in verse 6. The reality is stated in verse 7. Look at verse 7 in your Bible. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. When our walk is consistent with our talk, remember, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to those who claim to have a relationship with Christ. So if, if, you know, our walk is consistent with that, with that, that claim to have life in Christ, he says, you know, when we live in line with the relationship with Christ that we claim to have, notice what he says there in that verse, then we have fellowship with one another. Fellowship with one another. We have a connection with one another, uh, you know, that without, uh, that we would not have without that common experience of Christ. That that common experience of Christ brings a connection, he says, that, that wouldn't be there otherwise. It was about 25 years ago, I think, I was talking to Pastor Kent and I, I, you know, he he couldn't remember exactly when this happened either. Uh, Ginny and I went to Arizona uh, to see my father. And we were there for a weekend, really. We were just, it was just a long weekend, as I recall. I think we flew in on Friday, sometime on Friday, came home on, on Monday. Um, it was the first time since I was five years old, the first time since I was five years old that I had been under the same roof as my father. That was over 35 years of my life that had gone by at that point, where, I, where he wasn't, where he and I weren't under the same roof together. My father fled to Arizona with the woman that he was having an affair with. I was the youngest of five kids. The woman who he was having this affair and left town with also had uh, five kids that she left, uh, you know, behind with her husband. Um, while we were in Arizona, one of her sons was also there. And we all went out for breakfast on Saturday morning. And after we went out to breakfast, at, uh, we were coming out of the restaurant. I remember very clearly we were coming out of the restaurant, and um, his mother, my, you know, my, my father's new wife there, 
asked if we wanted to, if her son and I wanted to take, she had this two-seater Mercedes, I don't know what it is, 250 something or other, I don't know what it is. Anyway, if we wanted to take it for a ride, we said, well, yeah, you offer two guys a sports car. What's the answer, you know? Yeah, you know. So we did, and we we took off and we went out riding in a desert a little bit. And as we were out there, um, her son and I, I had just met him, you know, there at, at breakfast. I don't ever remember meeting him before, and but I just met him there at that breakfast. And we, as we were driving out in the desert, he started to tell me his feelings that he went through when his mom left. And all, you know, and what he was going through. Instantly, I knew what he was talking about. I had just met him, you see, but we had shared that same experience. And there was an instant connection there because of that shared experience of what we went through. Now that was a, that, you know, that was kind of, that's a, that's a negative example. It's a negative to go through, but the connection that is there because of our shared experience, that's the connection. That's the picture here when he says fellowship with one another. That's the connection of verse seven. That word fellowship, it indicates a shared common connection, common experience, that relationship with Christ. And that connection, you know, that connection, it can be closer, it can, it can be, be a deeper connection than even with family. One of the reasons we're connected with family is because we've gone through some experiences together. Now, unfortunately, some people let those experiences drive them apart as a family. And instead of pulling them together, you know, the, uh, one of the things I'm very grateful for, you know, out of the five of us kids, you know how many of us all got along with each other? Five. I still talk with my sisters. My, my brother's passed, but I still talk with my sisters. You know, we still have that connection. And, but this connection with Christ, the fellowship with one another, it can be deeper than, than even with family. This is talking about a connection, you know, that you, you have someone you can talk to, you know, someone that you can share good news with. This week, uh, Calvin sent uh, Kent and I, Pastor Kent and I, uh, a video of Michelle's uh, little boy, uh, you know, just starting to get up on his knees and move around and making noises and stuff. And, and it was pretty, but you see, he had this and he, he just wanted to share it with someone. And, and so he sent it to us. You know, and there's that, that connection. You have someone to talk to or just when you need maybe some encouragement. Yesterday I was talking with uh, Joanne Martin on the, on the phone and uh, yeah she's she's battling cancer and she's in hospice care now and stuff but boy you know when we talked you, you could just hear her, her voice just light up and pick up it was you know just it, it was an encouragement an encouraging conversation for me to talk with her and i had it on speakerphone and um, you know so jenny could hear too and jenny said well she sounds good you know just even even that connection that talking here now you know I've, I've seen this at work in our church family many times. Yeah, you know, over and over again, you know, from bringing meals to each other, sending cards, making calls, going out of your way to help, sharing a meal together, you know, actually going out or in your home, you know, sharing those together, taking time to visit, to interact with each other. It's, it, it's very common that people are still here even 45 minutes after this service is over because they're talking with each other. You know, it's a very common experience. 
The fellowship with one another is part of what helps us walk in the light. You see, but if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And it, it, that, that fellowship also helps us to walk in the light. It helps us to stay true to our confession of a relationship with Christ. You know, I would not have matured or grown as a Christian without the fellowship of the body. You know, first, after I came to Christ, you know, we were in uh, the South Holland CMA church for eight years. After I came to a relationship with Christ, six years. Let me do the math here. Six years. I was, in, I was there six years. You know, and those people poured into me. You know, some of the friendships and relationships we had and, you know, and it was, it was just great. It was, it was wonderful. And I went from there, you know, to the Riverdale Missionary Church. I was at Riverdale Missionary Church nine years. And those people too. Man, I'm telling you, when, when I get to heaven, uh, some of the, I am looking forward to seeing Mrs. Pinkerton. What a lady. Oh my gosh. What a wonderful woman. The, um, so when, when we went to Riverdale, I was, 1980. What's that make me? 26? Do the math. Something like that. Is that right? Sounds right. Uh, and so Jenny and I, we just had the girls at that point, just Marcy and Mandy. And the, I was, I was 26. The guy closest to my age was in his mid fifties. Uh, after that, the, we went up into the seventies and eighties. Now, my kids had all these grandparents, you know, and these people loved my family. And they put up with this guy who really, I, I finished school while I was there, you know, and, um, you know, they, I look back at some of the sermons I preached on and I thought, what in the world? Uh, you know, but the, the, the way they poured into my life. Mary and Joe Doyle, what a, what a great couple. They both, you know, they're both in glory now, but, um, they had lost their spouses and met and married in their eighties. What a neat couple. Uh, Sis Anderson, she was, uh, a, a lady that, uh, what an encouragement. And then I came to find out, um, her daughter and grandchildren were killed in an accident that was all over the news because the, the car went off the road by a shopping center near us and into a into a lake and they weren't able to get out and it was years that after i was there that i found out that that happened i thought oh my goodness and here to see this lady the smile on this lady's face and stuff and i've been here for a little over 30 years now and the people, you know, not just you guys, you guys still pour into my life, but I think some of them who have gone before. And, uh, you know, Henry and Stella Mays, uh, uh, Lewis and Helen Freilich, man, uh, Audie and Catherine, you know, people who loved me, who poured into me and my family. This is the fellowship of one another that helps us to walk in the light. You know, it helps us to walk in the light. Uh, it also tells us, notice what it says, and, and, and that fellowship helps us also to be cleansed from all sin. You know, cleanses us from all sin. Because our common bond in Christ helps us avoid some sin that we would be prone to if it were not for others in Christ. It can help us avoid sin that we would be prone to except that we have a relationship with others in Christ. 
And, and it helps us, you know, as we encourage one another to follow God rather than the values of this world. You know, and, and it helps us, you know, when we sin and another comes alongside of us to gently restore us to a walk with Christ. There's another claim in verse 8. Look at what it says. If we say we have no sin, realize denying sin does not mean it is not real. Just denying sin does not mean it's not, it does, that does not make it not real. Everyone is a sinner. Some people sin more obviously than others. And with some sin, you know, some sins are more obvious than others. I saw this work out and, and, and play out in the life of, you know, in the life of, of uh, two young ladies that I knew. And, you know, they both, they both fell into sin. One was obvious, one wasn't. And I remember the sin, the one who fell into sin that was obvious, you know, came to me and, and talked to me, you know, and her dad, and they came together and talked to me and I talked to them and I said, you know, um, have, have you cleared this up with the, with, with the Lord? Yeah, they assured me they had. I said, you know, I don't want this to be used against you. I think it'd be a good idea if we brought it before the church and explained it to them. And they said, yeah, we need to do that. So we did. We explained it in front of the church, you know, and, um, you know what, that young lady is still walking with the Lord. Uh, the other, the other young lady kept her sin hidden. And when I talked to her about it and stuff, and then she tried denying. And in fact, she left the church. And to my knowledge, still isn't walking with the Lord. The fellowship with one another, you know, it, it helps us and builds us. And if we say we have no sin, denying sin doesn't mean that it's not real. Everyone sins. Some more obviously than others, and some sin is more obvious than others. Now, this phrase, you know, we have no sin, it would be part of the Gnostic belief, you know, that the body is made for pleasure in any and every form. You see, so there really is no sin because the body's irrelevant. And, you know, I'm not saying this makes sense. I am simply telling you what they believed and what some believe today. Some believe today there is no sin and they deny sin. Well, it's not sin. If we really love each other, what? Or if we really don't love each other, what? Yeah. Uh, that, that, that denying sin doesn't make it not sin. You know, to say we don't sin, he says, is to deny that we need a savior. Look at what Peter says. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves. To say we don't sin you know, is, is to deny that we need a savior. And without a relationship with Jesus as your savior, you're left to your sin by your own choice. By your own choice. If you deny, if you deny Jesus, it's by your own choice, you're left to your own sin. Verse eight is the claim. Verse nine is the reality. It's a familiar verse, gives direction. You know, when we sin, 
now remember, he's talking to those who have a relationship with Christ. He's talking to those who already have a relationship with Christ. And he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is talking here about those who have a relationship with Christ Jesus, but they sin, not as a lifestyle. In verse 6, he's talking about those who are sinning as a lifestyle. If we say we have a relationship with Christ, but continue in sin, continue to live in sin, continue to practice sin, he says there we're lying. Here he's talking about, in verse 9, those who are sincerely trying to live for God, but for various reasons they've fallen into temptation and they go against God. Sin is not their lifestyle, but it is an occasional problem. You know, so you, you confess those to God. You confess those and bring them. A confession. Confession is an admission of our guilt. Confession is an, an admission of our need for forgiveness. That's what confession is. It admits our, you know, it's, it's where we stand up and admit our guilt, where we admit the, our need for forgiveness. The verse implies here, you know, a confession that is also a sincere intention of leaving that sin behind. That it's also a confession that is, it is a sincere intention to live differently. It is a sincere intention to walk in the light. And God's response to our confession, you know, he says he's faithful, he just, and just, faithful and just forgiveness. He gives cleansing, not punishment. Sometimes we think that when we sin, God is just waiting to punish us. You know, he's up there and he's waiting with that stick. And when we step out of line, he's going to whack us with the knobby end. You know, and, and, and that's, what, that's the picture. What we forget is Jesus already took the punishment. He took the punishment so we could take forgiveness. When we do sin, we can confess the sin, you know, any sin, all sin to God. Now, we looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. It says, the law came along to multiply the trespasses, to make sin more evident. Sin was more obvious, more evident. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. There is no sin too great. There is no sin too grievous for God to forgive. I want you to notice an important word that appears both in verse 7 and verse 9. Look in verse 7. It says, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Not just from, from some sin, but from all sin. Look at what it says in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous, will forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just part of it. Not, not, not just, you have not outsinned God's ability to forgive. You have not outsinned God's willingness to forgive. Don't let the enemy make you think you have. He, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. When we confess, he cleanses us from, from all unrighteousness. The next claim comes in, in verse 10, that we don't have any sin. Now, the, the Gnostics denied that their, that their actions were sinful because it was simply done in their flesh, which they didn't consider real. And, and you know, when you attain that higher knowledge, you will realize that this is all just an illusion. Now, that's their belief. That's not reality. That's their belief. 
their belief was that when you got to this higher level, you too would understand that yeah, this doesn't matter. You see, it's just, it, 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 it doesn't matter. It's unimportant. Now today people deny sin because they, you know, they use the worlds. Now when I say the worlds, I'm talking about those without God. So, you know, the, the, what they're doing is they use the world's standards. They use the standards of those without God. They use the standards of those without a relationship with Christ, you know, or, or they judge by the way they think things should be. You know, this is, again, their belief. It's not reality. When we, when we make sin according to how we think it should be, you see, it, it's just simply our belief. And when we put that standard, when we put any standard ahead of God and what he says, then, then, you know, what we're doing is we're setting this other thing ahead of God in our lives. If we follow, if we, you know, follow what, what the world, and remember when I say world, I'm talking about those who ignore God. If you follow those who ignore God and you put that standard up as the standard that you follow, then what you're doing is you're putting that standard ahead of what God says. If you put the standard of how you think things should be as your, as your standard of what you're going to follow, one of the things that drives me nuts every time I hear it is, well, that's my truth. No, you see, truth is truth. And if you're saying something against the truth just because you say it doesn't mean it's true. Just because you believe that's the way it should be doesn't make it true. Now, when I say that, there certainly are some things. I, I've heard that phrase used sometimes when people talk about things that happen to them. Well, that's different. You know, this is really what they're saying then is this, what hap- this is what has happened to me. Well, okay, I, I understand that. You know, and, I, and I'm trusting that what you say has happened to you has happened to you. But to set that up as this is the standard, then what you're doing is you're putting that standard a- ahead of God. And setting up your own standards, you know, does not justify sin. You cannot justify sin. You know, you, you cannot blame others for your choices. Think back, just, you know, think back. Familiar story. God creates this place for everyone to live. And it's a great place, you know, and it's called the Garden, the Garden of Eden. And as, as, as he puts man and woman there, Adam and Eve are there, and well, a problem comes in. They decide that, they're, that they are going to put their own standard ahead of God. God says, you can have any tree that you want, but, you know, not this one. I understand that temptation. The, uh, you know, when I had the surgery on my nose, and um, then, you know, you can't blow your nose. You know what I want to do most? For the last week, I want to blow my nose for crying out loud, you know. But to blow my nose would blow my nose. Anyway, uh, so we don't. But, you know, so he says you can eat from any tree you want except that one. Just don't eat from that one. Well, they ate from that tree and, you know, and they fell into sin. Why? Because they disobeyed God, because they put their own, they put something else, they put their own choice ahead of what God said. Well, so what happens? You know, Adam, what have you done? Wasn't me. It's this woman. It's not my fault. It's her fault. And he comes to Eve, says, Eve, what have you done? Oh, it wasn't me. It's this serpent. It was this serpent that you put there. Ooh, yikes. This woman you gave me, the serpent you put there, sounds like they're both blaming God. Well, here's the deal, though. God held each one of them accountable for their choices. You can't blame someone else for the decisions you make. 
There may be pressure. There may be temptation. I'm not denying that at all. Temptation is not a sin. The pressure is not a sin. God is there to help us with that. And everybody was held responsible for their own thing. You know, when you put something else up there and what you're saying is you're saying you know better than God. You know, when you set up your own standard or when you accept the standards of society as correct and then you make God a liar. When you accept your own standards as correct or you accept society's standards as correct, then what you're saying is, God, you're lying. You're saying that you know better than God. You say you, you ignore, you deny his word. You show that his word is not in you, just as it says. In you, you know, in you. It, 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 those convictions that we have, is where that's where our standards come from. Our standards come from the convictions we have. Our internal standards are where our living, where our walk comes from. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, From within, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. Now, you can add more things to there. What's he saying? He's saying, from within, out of people's hearts, Another place in scripture, he says, out of the abundance of the, uh, the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Those things you say, those things you do. We need to move on. Verse 10, you know, is the claim. Uh, chapter, the first verse of, of chapter 2 is the reality. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The goal is always not to sin. That should be the goal, not to sin. The goal is not to think that sin isn't bad because we can seek forgiveness later. That's a foolish way to go about it. Never, don't go doing something thinking, well, we can ask forgiveness later. But when you do find yourselves guilty of sin, well, then you can and should come to God for forgiveness. That's what he's talking about in verse 9 there. Don't ignore the sin. Don't think that it really isn't that bad. Don't excuse yourself because of someone else's sin. Do what it says there. Confess. Confess and come to him. Notice what he says here. He says that, you know, he comes that we may not sin, but he says that, that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. Advocate. It literally, you know, the word literally means called to one side, an intercessor. It was used of someone who would stand alongside a defendant in pleading their case for the defendant. We would refer to it nowadays as a lawyer. Your lawyer is your court advocate. You see, and this is, this is, this is the, the picture here. When we, you know, when we do sin, when we confess to God, Jesus is our advocate pleading our case. Now you need to understand this. Jesus is, Jesus is not pleading you not guilty. That's not what he's saying. He is not saying that you are not guilty. What he's saying is, they're guilty, but I've paid the price. It's a, you know, he doesn't deny our guilt. Well, he says you know, that we're guilty, but he's already paid the penalty. That's the picture that you have in verse 2 there. In verse 2 where you know, he says that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is the propitiation the propitiation for our sins. Now, you probably haven't used that word yet this week, uh, but today's just the first day of the week, so, you know, just say propitiation with me. Go ahead and say propitiation. Say it. 
See, now you've used it. Okay, uh, but you didn't know what you said. Uh, the propitiation, it means an appeasement. An appeasement. Uh, satisfaction. It's satisfaction by the means of which our sin is cared for. Look at what it says. That Jesus Christ is the means by which our sin is cared for. He is the propitiation. You know, he, you say, well, why didn't he say that? Because uh, propitiation is a good word. It's a fuller word. You know, and, and we, uh, you know, some translations have changed and don't, don't have propitiation in there. That, that's okay, but don't be afraid of good biblical words. Um, you know, when I went in and had this thing cut off my nose, um, you know, eight years ago I had some moved off, removed off the other side, and what they when they told me on the other side that it was invasive, which meant that it, it grew in and it had tentacles. And they told me this was encapsulated. And so I, I said to the guy, the guy being the doctor, I said to the surgeon, I said, so, you know, they tell me this one's encapsulated I, I, and the other one uh, wasn't. Well, really, he says, you know, they're both encapsulated. This one, the, the invasive one, it's in, he never used the word invasive this time. He said the encapsulated one is, and he used some other medical term. I didn't have any idea what he was talking about. Here's what I, here's what I got out of it. Yeah, the other one spread more. This one's more contained. Let's take it out. But you know what? I'm glad he knows those words. I'm glad he knows what those things mean. You know, I just didn't want to say, well, you got a really ugly spot there. You ought, we ought to cut that baby off, you know. Uh, ooh, let, it's, it's some icky skin. Let's cut it out. I'd go to a different doctor. You know, don't be afraid of good biblical words. When he says that he's the propitiation for, you know, for our sin, he is a, Jesus Christ is the means by which our sin is cared for. That's what he's saying. Second Corinthians chapter five, it says he, God the Father, here he's talking about, you know, he made the one who did not know sin, Jesus, God the Son, he made, you know, God the Father made the one who didn't know sin, God the Son, to be that sin, a sin offering, to be that sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Just like that kid's video that you saw where there was sin and it went in and Jesus took that sin and, but yet he was still righteous, you see. And we then, Jesus in us, we gain his righteousness. There's the picture for you. Jesus himself was that atoning sacrifice for our sin. He took the Father's wrath that we deserved. God's, God's holiness demands that sin be removed. You know, and God's justice requires satisfaction. And God's love provided that satisfaction. Jesus is both the advocate and the atonement for sin. He is that propitiation. You know, he, he pleads and he provides for us. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, it says, is the propitiation for our sins. But notice what else it says in there. But for those, the sins of the whole world. Now, this is not universalism. What this is telling us is the total adequacy of what Jesus did. We add nothing. We add nothing to the finished work of Christ. While I believe baptism is important, baptism does not finish your salvation. While I believe taking communion is important, and we're going to do that next week, uh, taking communion does not add to your salvation. It's complete in Christ that for the sins of the whole world, totally adequate. What Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, what did he say? One of the things, he, very few things recorded, but one of the things recorded of what he said is, it is finished. It says, and then he gave up his spirit. What was finished? 
the payment for our sin on the cross. It was finished. It, it was done. It was taken care of. You know, this for the sins of the whole world, it also shows us God accepts everyone who comes to him in Christ. You know, every country, every race, every people group, every tribe, tongue, nation are all accepted in Christ. They do not need another God. They need to know about the real God. Well, we're out of time. Three claims here. But the reality of, of Christ in our lives affects how we walk, how we live each day. How you live every day speaks louder than what you say. It speaks louder than what you say. It either shows that you're a liar or that you have a true relationship with Christ. So now you know. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. We take that too lightly sometimes. And we think sin doesn't matter sometimes. But it does, Lord. It's important. It's important how we live and that we live for you and before you and with you. Help us to walk in the light as you are in the light always. Not to wander, not to stray, not to get off, not to accept the standards of society, not to accept our own concoctions in our mind that this is really okay it's never okay to sin and thank you that you have given us a way that when we do sin we can come to you we can come to you for cleansing we can come to you for uh, for that forgiveness that we can come we confess and that you faithfully cleanse us from all sin and we gain your righteousness once again Thank you, Lord, for what is ours in Christ. Help us to live in such a way that it shows clearly the relationship we claim to have with you, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.